Welcome to Blockchain Won't Save the World, the podcast that aims to demystify blockchain and exponential technologies with real-world examples for beginners and experts alike. Because blockchain won't save the world. We will. Welcome back, everybody. As you may know, climate and social impact are important topics for me, and I believe exponential technologies can help us to drive exponential change. And with that in mind, I'd love to introduce Kevin Pettit from Proof of Impact. He's the COO there, the Chief Operating Officer, and they're looking at using blockchain and other technologies to accelerate engagement in social and climate impact activity. Kevin, welcome to the show. Hey, Anthony. Thanks for having me. Really excited to have you here. As soon as we talked the other week, I really enjoyed the work that you were doing, the examples that you talked me through, some of the projects that you were working on. And I really would love to share some more of those stories with the audience. Let's start off simple. Tell us a little bit about Proof of Impact. What do you guys do? I work for a startup called Proof of Impact. So we're a technology company that uses a series of exponential technologies, including blockchain, to support environmental, social, uh, and health impact globally. And Kevin, tell us more about the people you're working with. What problems are you looking to solve with Proof of Impact? So our goal at Proof of Impact is to radically redefine what is impact. And so we're trying to basically find ways to help people fund and experience impact in a totally different way. And we define impact as social, environmental, or health good, uh, and that's measurable. And we see that one of the biggest problems is that there's this massive inefficiency between the people on the ground who are doing the most good and the, uh, and the people who are looking to fund impact. So we primarily work with companies everywhere from startups to Fortune 500s who are looking to make a meaningful difference. And we want to connect them with these amazing projects that are on the ground who are making an impact every day. So the biggest things is, is that we're seeing is that there's a missing link between funding to the impact at a unit level. So we're trying to guarantee these measurable outputs so that people know what is it that I'm participating in and really bring a lot of that transparency. We verify impact. So that means that we want you to be able to have access to this granular level data uh, that supports uh, and showcases what, what is the good that's being done on the ground. And ultimately, you know, the purpose of that data is really just to bring this rich and humanized experience, right? If you look at the, you know, impact market, you could call it, which is inclusive of donations, it's inclusive of impact investments. I think one of the biggest problems or two of the biggest problems are there's a lack of trust and there's a lack of engagement. And uh, when you talk about trust and engagement, the current experience now is you, you know, very top down, you fund money into a black box, you're not really sure where it goes. And we, we're using blockchain, uh, a lot of different types of exponential technologies so that we can bring that data from the ground to life and really bring a rich uh, and more human and engaging experience. And so the pain point that you saw was a big part of that was the proof, the verification of the activity happening on the ground. Absolutely. So so you think about uh, just the funding cycle, right? There are people who are delivering impact every day and they're doing, you wouldn't believe we're working with projects and programs globally that are doing the most amazing things. And they are the experts of what is the best interventions and what is the good that can be done. So the question is, how do we verify that they're doing those things and incentivize them to do more of it, right? And that's kind of this idea behind, you know, performance-based finance, sending money to the activities that we know are the most effective and that are doing the most good. 
Fantastic. And obviously the technology plays a large part in that. How did you get from the, the original problem statement to some of the technology that you've designed and implemented now? Sure. So I think it's really important to just think about the problem, right? And the problem is that most of these programs and the way that impact is being implemented now and its inefficiencies. So if you think about the way that capital flows to impact either projects or programs or nonprofits or social enterprises, it's being distributed really in a top-down nature. So there's some sort of funding cycle. There are nonprofits who have to apply for grants, who have to apply for funds or go on fundraising. And that's essentially taking people away from the core activities, which is making an impact. So we try to go the exact opposite. We go bottom up. We say, okay, if I can prove impact at the granular unit level, then I can then allocate funds to the unit level a lot more effectively. And then we'll know that the people who are on the ground who are highly effective, they'll have an avenue where they can say, if I can deliver more impact, I can deliver more funding. And that's basically how we started going from this bottom up, let's gather the data on the ground uh, approach. Very good. Tell us more about how you found yourself working with Proof of Impact and the work that you do today. Great. So I've been an avid blockchain enthusiast since, not since the earliest days, but uh, it's been a while. So I've been into blockchain since 2016. Before Proof of Impact, I helped launch and scale a multiple, uh, multiple currency, multiple blockchain cryptocurrency wallet. So that's really how I got you know, deeply involved with blockchain. That was on both Android and iOS, but uh, we also came out with these B2B blockchain APIs. So I've kind of worked with amazing groups on a lot of different chains. But before that, I actually spent most of my career in financial engineering and securitization and large-scale portfolio management. So I've seen firsthand a lot of the inefficiencies that blockchain can solve in financial and other applications. And I stress other applications because um, a lot of people think about financial applications uh, in terms of blockchain, but there are definitely um, a lot of others. So. Um, in addition to that, I've also been super passionate about social impact for a long time. So um, when I was in finance, I helped structure, you know, unique financial instruments that supported affordable housing, for example. And then, you know, one of the core parts of the blockchain company, which was called Ethos, uh, was really I was really interested in, in building into the vision, the idea of self-custody and ownership of your own finances and banking the unbanked. So really through that journey where I had this background in securitization and finance, I had this background in, uh, in blockchain, my primary goal was how can I combine these two things together to, to try to make a lasting uh, social or environmental or health impact? That's brilliant. I can relate from my perspective of being able to try and do both working with the technologies you're interested in working with and also in the domains that you love and being able to create an impact at the same time. It feels like you really found a sweet spot. Tell us more about then the learnings that you then took from working in blockchain and finance into working with proof of impact. How does blockchain fit into your story today? I think of it kind of like an impact securitization model. Securitization is one of the most effective avenues for allocating capital. I mean, trillions of dollars are securitized every day in the form of, form of mortgages. And it's an interesting thing to compare to say, you know, a lot of people in the impact industry or impact space, you know, you think of what are some different interventions, right? Water delivery to a village in Kenya or a vaccination that was delivered to uh, a child in Ethiopia or a solar panel was installed. A nurse that's going through the COVID crisis gets delivered a meal. Like, what is that impact unit, right? Well, all of those different types of units of impact, they seem very different. But if you look at the securitization market, all of the houses that are in the U.S., for example, 
are totally different. They're in different school districts, they're different sizes, they're different shapes. So although they seem very different, they're actually, from a data perspective, can be structured very similarly. And that's kind of the, the thought process of the seed for me that really got planted on how you can allocate more capital to things like impact. So what we do there is we say, okay, now that we have data about all these different types of things, how do we structure it in a way that it looks similar? So if you're trying to prove that a vaccination did in fact occur, there's really only a limited finite set of data points that could be gathered about, in this case, a vaccination. Uh, was there a picture taken? Is there a timestamp? Is there a geotag of where, uh, like, you know, geospatial data of where it happened that could be grabbed from a mobile device? Is there a, notes from a nurse that confirmed that it happened? Um, all of these different data points can be structured in a finite way that that then you can prove that the impact occurred and then put it into more and more interesting structures like a donation product. Uh, so that if you wanted to donate to a vaccination, you know that you're going to donate specifically to that individual vaccination or to a fund, right? It, you wanted to uh, uh, donate to a, a bunch of different interventions. Uh, let's just say a child health basket, for example, which is one of the things we're doing now um, in Ethiopia. So it could be child nutrition. It could be uh, outpatient visits. It could be vaccinations altogether. Uh, you can structure them into a basket so that people could donate directly to that. Or the broader vision, which is bringing it to impact investment products. So once you get this impact in a digital form, you can then kind of form more complex products uh, like impact bonds and, and impact funds and things like that. So I was focused on how we can bring these similarities where in something that seems very different, how do we actually structure it in a way that it can be you know, very similar? And then that can create a lot of efficiency where right now there's currently a lot of inefficiency. And I'm just curious, is there a degree then of valuation or quantification of those particular units of impact? Do you look at the relative carbon offsetting that's created or, you know, at worst case, the value of a life or preservation of a life? How do you go about creating those units? You know, we have this impact design process where when we're trying to approach any problem, we're saying, okay, what is the unit of impact that we want to promote or we want to incentivize? And in this case, uh, let's just say it's a solar panel that, uh, that was successfully installed. So we just need to determine what is that unit of impact one solar panel was installed? How do we know that it actually was installed, right? And that could be a series of data that says there was an installation date, there was a picture from the, the install, we know how many people were in the house, uh, all this different data that says that it was actually in, in fact uh, installed. Was it unique? That's an important one. Is there a unique serial number? Do we have a unique timestamp and geotag? And once you have these pieces of information, this is really where the blockchain comes in because we want to then stamp all that data to be immutable to say, yes, this unit of impact did occur. And that's where, uh, in our case, we use the Ethereum blockchain and uh, we can uh, mint this data onto either an ERC-20 token or an ERC-721 token, which is basically different types of tokenizations. Um, that we can do to memorialize that this impact actually occurred. And then now that be, that unit of impact becomes transactable. And that's kind of where blockchain fits into all this. I'd love to double click for a second on that transactable nature, because it sounds like a big part of this is you're creating the immutability or the verified activity on the ground, that something has definitely happened. But is there is there a security here as well? Are you looking to use the Ethereum tokens for, for funding or is it just for a verification purpose? 
That is a great question, and it's a really important distinction, which is what specifically are we using blockchain for? We are not using blockchain at this stage for a transfer of value. We're using it to make immutability of impact data, right? So one of the internal debates as we, you know, as a lot of people who are, who've gone through blockchain projects have to go through this journey in their own initiatives, what is the level of decentralization do you want to use? What features of the blockchain, because there are many that, that are, are the most important for the business case, right? So for example, we had to decide as enthusiasts of blockchain and decentralization, we have to decide at what points are appropriate to become more and more decentralized. So if we're trying to funnel capital most effectively to the most good, early in our process, we realized that using blockchain as a transfer of value was not the initial best path for the use of blockchain because there's still a need for more widespread adoption of cryptocurrencies and, and the ability to have you know, stable coins and, and access. And, and there's going to be a lot of impact funding either coming from the donors themselves who, uh, who haven't adopted you know, cryptocurrencies or from the impact creators themselves who are on the ground who haven't adopted cryptocurrencies and can spend them freely. So we decided that in the beginning, we're going to use the blockchain just to track the data and then hopefully move to a more and more decentralized future as we progress in our product. That's really fascinating to hear. I mean, there's a couple of things in there. Firstly, hearing somebody working in a blockchain program talking about business value is always music to my ears. And it seems like you've spent a lot of time thinking about that. Also really interesting to hear that the first application of blockchain is around the immutability and around creating the verified action, a utility token in that case, less around being able to receive crypto payments or even being able to open this up as a, a global platform that anybody can get access to. But that sounds like it's on your roadmap. Absolutely, absolutely. So if we're going back to the business value, right, one of the biggest inefficiencies is basically how do we securely digitize this impact data? That's really what this is. And if you have this impact data in a digital form, then you can get creative, right? Then you can create portfolios of impact for people. So one of the, I, I said in the beginning that we focus on, you know, supporting companies who want to make an impact. Well, if you're trying to offset your carbon footprint, you know, what are your options? You could go to, you know, the carbon credit markets and the, the user experience is pretty abysmal. You pay money and you get basically a receipt. Whereas with digitized impact data, we can give a lot more granularity that says with payments and things aside, with this digitized impact data, we can show you on the map, hey, not only do I care about my carbon footprint, I'm not just off-gassing some field, I'm actually supporting these 50 solar panels that are in Kenya, I'm supporting these clean cooking stoves that are in South Africa, and actually, you know what, I actually realized that part of my vision and part of my mission is I really care about getting clean water to people. I can, you know, make sure that we fund liters of clean water to people in different at-risk jurisdictions, for example. So you can build this portfolio that's backed by all this rich data because the impact is now in a digitized form, and then you have the trust that the impact that I purchased, that unit is mine. And that's kind of one of the key benefits. I love that. And obviously, I've spent a little bit of time looking on your website. And it, it's great. You can zoom into an example portfolio and then go into one specific project and you can see some of the data, you can see some of the images. And I think the difference between being able to see a real impact to real people versus being able to get a receipt for some intangible carbon credit that you have paid for by obligation or by necessity there's definitely a, a more humanizing experience to that. I'd love to walk through a specific example just to close the loop on this one. One of my favorites that I saw was the, the turtles 
and <laughs> the the baby turtles on, on one of the beaches. I'd love you just to talk us through how do you digitize the impact of helping baby turtles? Talk us through how do you design the program? How do you design the digital impact activities or the digital impact proofs in something like that? Yeah, that's a great uh, that's a great example. That's actually one of my favorites because it's just so fun, uh, lighthearted, and it's just a it's just a great a great project. So there's a uh, there's a wonderful project called Tortuga Viva, and essentially they have volunteers who patrol the beaches every night and they look for turtle nests. And you would be amazed at how much information that they are already trying to track about their activities. So what does it mean to, to save a turtle, right? Uh, we have to define that through data. So it means that so-and-so volunteers went out that night and traveled X number of miles. It means that they went, uh, patrolled the beach and they found a nest and they uncovered the nest safely and they counted every single one of the eggs and, and we can help them track how many eggs that they, that they counted. Then once you count the number of eggs, then they you know, safely dig them up and they tag them and bring them back to a, what's called an egg sanctuary, a turtle sanctuary, where basically they have all of these different turtle nests that were successfully relocated. And as those eggs are being incubated and awaiting ha uh, hatching, they actually take pictures all along the way. So they take a picture when they found the nest, they take a picture when it's at the sanctuary. And then as these turtles uh, hatch, they also take pictures and videos of the release. And so you can see pictures and videos of, of turtle releases if you uh, purchase a turtle on our platform. But, uh, but the key here is that if I'm a donor and I say, wow, I really want to support turtles, uh, almost all sea turtles are endangered, and that's something that I'm very passionate about, then you could go onto the platform, you can purchase uh, one turtle, and this is a turtle that was successfully released into the ocean. So one of the data points is maybe there were 70 eggs in a nest but only 50 actually hatched and made it into the water, you would only be purchasing one of the 50, uh, specifically one of the 50 from that batch that actually successfully made it to the ocean. And now you are participating in a, a very specific uh, unit of impact that you can feel proud that you supported that, that one turtle. Fantastic. And I want to be clear, just in case the SEC is listening, we are not using Ethereum to purchase turtles. We are supporting the impact. Um, yes. So this is not a taxable benefit. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And and I think the interesting thing, it just comes from that bottom up nature is really the verification of it. Because when you verify it, what we can do is we can basically say, now that we have this large amount of data, we can do a series of checks and algorithmic verification that basically does a series of checks that's like, did the picture, uh, did the timestamp that we pulled from the picture match the timestamp of, uh, of when they said that they went out? Did the geotag that they said that they were at match the geotag that we pulled from the metadata of the picture, right? We have hundreds of these different checks for all of the different types of uh, impact units that we track. And when you have these really small like data checks but a, a high number of them, then you can basically build a level of confidence that yes, this impact did in fact occur. And more importantly, this visibility of our methodology and so that you can see the data for yourself, you have the ability to rate the risk and evaluate the risk for, for yourself. So you can look at the methodology, you can look at the proof points and you can say, hey, I don't feel confident that this turtle actually hatched. I don't want to do that, but I do feel confident that this solar panel was installed because it has the X, Y, and Z uh, other data. And it just gives people a level of visibility and and uh, a way to, to measure how and if they want to participate in different programs. 
and so a big part of your proposition is the verification, the the ability to confirm that you know one picture of a turtle is different to another. And I guess there's a, a number of different technologies at work there. Absolutely, absolutely. So you know, one of the reasons why I'm so excited about you know just personally excited about you know my work with Proof of Impact is that we're a horizontal business. So we're trying to track impact and transact it end to end. And in order to do that, we actually have to employ a number of different exponential technologies to be able to gather data, verify it, productize it or package it, and then distribute it out, right? So that's kind of our life cycle. So if you think about the technologies on the data input side, you think IoT, which is really important because you know you can get machine-based gener- or sorry, machine-generated data that can have a level of confidence that it wasn't tampered with. You can get mobile data, so picture and geospatial data coming from um, from pictures and and mobile devices. And mobile devices are becoming super prevalent and available um, even in some of the most remote locations. Moving to the verification side, right? We can turn these algorithms and use you know machine learning and AI techniques once we get critical mass of data to actually help determine what are these confidence scores of, of whether or not they've been verified. We can then, once you have this data that's verified, we can stamp it right, to be immutable on a token. So that's the use of the blockchain and that makes that data easily transactable, right? And once you have a blockchain that's easily transactable uh, in these form of these tokens, you can then structure it into a fund or a donation or an impact investment product. And we're a cloud first type of microservice architecture, uh, a way to make a scalable system to be able to handle these transactions at a granular level very quickly. So I, I get very excited about this because we get to touch so many different cutting edge technologies and our job really is just how to weave them in at the most appropriate time to you know, create the best business value for the people who want to make an impact. I'm glad you talked about the the kind of the movement beyond timestamping there because a, a good friend of mine, one of his favorite facepalm moments is when people just use blockchain from a timestamping perspective saying, I've created an immutable thing. But actually what you're saying there is the portfolio, the securitization, the portfolio creation there is what makes this really interesting above and beyond the immutability. So you've gone to a number of different levels of capability. I also really enjoyed the, the point around scalability of this. I suspect at the moment you're doing a lot of manual curation of these particular programs of the impact programs that you support and helping to create the data, the standards for those things. But I guess over time, you'll be able to open those standards or allow others to create programs in your platform using those data or verification standards that your algorithms can pick up. Yeah, yeah, I think you're totally on it because one of our early decisions was to go broad and wide. And a lot of people thought that that could be a risky decision to say, okay, don't you just want to only verify, you know, let's just say solar panel installations or something, you know, very specific things first so that you can nail that really well. But we took kind of a a different stance. We said, okay, if we really want to make a robust data model that can scale, let's tackle all of these different impact types and let's see if we can tease out the models that can work. So whether it be, you know, pulling in from a lot of different data sources, including mobile devices, IoT, all these different things. It actually, the, the funny thing is, is that, you know, we've, we've done this for about 20 projects um, where we've, we've really uh, ironed out the data models for. And after about the 10th project, 
you're, you really see a lot of similarities between how you can prove that these different types of impact units actually occurred. And, and, and that's when we start getting the scale because these models become reusable and they become repurposable. And I can give you a really good example in the wake of this coronavirus pandemic. So we're able to use a lot of, or we're actively using a lot of the different data models to prove impact for, let's just say ocean cleanup is a, is a great example. We can reuse that same data model to help track a meal that's getting delivered to an overworked nurse to help our frontline workers. And that's just one way that because we went wide, we can then repurpose these technologies to, to the times and, you know, social impact areas are, are things that are, you know, really top of mind and, and really where that needs help the most. It's timely because obviously I'm sure a lot of the listeners who are picking this up for the first time when, when they get this may still be quarantined or may still be self-isolating. The coronavirus has challenged us in a number of different ways in terms of our working practices or how we get business done or, or how we continue with business as usual. But I'm really interested. It sounds like you guys have been spending a bit of time thinking about how we can apply exponential technologies to support different communities or to help prevent the spread of coronavirus. Tell me more about what you've been working on. Yeah, absolutely. So as you know, through this crisis, there's been so much widespread worry and panic and there's just these huge market disruptions. And so I think it's really important and I'm seeing this more and more when you look for it is is that people are really trying to come together to solve these problems as a community. So so one of the mentalities that has gained significant traction is the idea of flattening the curve. Right. So like how do we mitigate or slow this crisis as best as possible? So, you know, our team took a deep think about this concept and like, let's just break it down, right? What does it actually mean to flatten the curve? And I think that there's like really three things that are at play, right? The most top of mind is how do you reduce the rate of transmission? The second one is, is how do you hold that line? If you remember that there's a dotted line that exemplifies the, uh, the healthcare capacity, right? So how do you hold or support or boost that line? And then lastly, how do you prepare, uh, which is one of the things that I, I don't think gets enough attention, is how do you prepare for all the negative externalities or the fallout that's going to come as a result of this pandemic? So if you think about those three different ways, you see that there's a lot of areas of social impact that need to happen, that need to occur. And, and so we just try to break down what is it the ways that we can be there to support the community as the pandemic unfolds. So we kind of determine these five major risk areas, at-risk populations. Right, so preventing elderly and sick, uh, elderly and sick uh, who need to use the healthcare system, healthcare and frontline workers, right, everywhere from grocery clerks to uh, emergency medical personnel, low-income communities. Low-income communities are at risk for disproportionate negative effects to healthcare, access to care, education, the hard-hit local economies. Everyone sees that the markets are are kind of going crazy, but this is causing major disruption to local businesses. And then lastly, you know, everyone's talking about socialized isolation, really like social health and engagement for individual people, for employees, like employee engagement now that everyone is working from home. Um, these are, you know, major risk areas that we need to try to find a way to funnel capital to the groups or the communities or the people who are trying to support these major risk areas. So with these things that are evolving really rapidly, we just went right into the we went right into the community. We said, hey, who is working on what types of things? And uh, and we know that there is most likely like many crises, there's an astronomical amount of money that's donated or deployed. But how effective are those funds going to be applied and are they going to get in the hands of the people that are most affected? And that's kind of where where proof of impact comes in. So um, in talking with 
uh, a lot of people, we've, we've kind of reached out to people in our network, people in New York, in Washington, D.C., in Colorado, in uh, Southern California, in Seattle. We've actually identified a few different what we think are highly impactful, we call them impact events, right? Things that people could fund that could really support these five at-risk groups. So some examples that we're working on now is how do we get healthy meals to low-income children or how do we provide healthy meals to frontline health workers? Uh, There's this amazing story where I, I talked to a nurse and she was saying, if there was any way that you could just get a food truck outside of the hospital for our 18-hour shift, like that would be the most, uh, you know, the most helpful thing in the world because, you know, we're working night and day and we don't have time to make food for ourselves. You know, when you hear those stories on the front line, right, you want to figure out ways to funnel those meals and get those meals funded so that we can support these people on the ground. And, and we've already defined, you know, six or seven others, including, you know, hand sanitizer to grocery stores or sending soap to at-risk communities, all these different types of impacts that we're, we're using the models that we've already created to, say, track ocean trash or track the turtles. And how can we just bring that technology directly to these community groups who, uh, who are already, you know, on the front lines? And this is happening right now. So you're looking for, you're trying to create projects or trying to create initiatives that can be used today. Oh, absolutely. This is uh, this is happening yesterday and the day before. I mean, basically what what happened is we're just accelerating our onboarding process. And because that we've have worked out our data model, it makes it very easy for us to say, for example, we made a mobile app for beach cleanup crews to track their trash. Right. To say, hey, I picked up the trash out of this ocean so that if a corporation really cares about ocean plastic, then in their portfolio, they could you know, pay to say, you know, I really uh, want to reduce trash as part of my impact portfolio and that we could provide that for them. Well, we just repurposed that app and that's what we're doing kind of actively right now to see how can we give that app to someone who is a healthy meal provider who could just give three clicks to say, hey, this is when I made the meal. This is when it got delivered out in front of the hospital. And this is when the chief of staff of the hospital picked that, picked that meal up so that we can gather the data that proves and we can showcase it and put it on our dashboard to show, hey, people are, you know, we are supporting the front line and this is how, and you can bring that data to life. We can repurpose those technologies so that now people can see it and people can say, huh, did you know that there are 180, you know, nurses on that shift that have been working for 24 hours straight? You know, who wants to get them a meal? And then that makes it so that people can more actively participate, feel engaged and feel like instead of in a time of despair, they feel like they can actually be part of the solution and actively participate. So it feels like you've got the data platform in place. You've got the infrastructure there. You've got the ability to to collect data on the ground. What more is needed for you to help scale? How do we get this out in the market now? So I think the biggest thing is we need people in the community and especially businesses and business leaders and corporate CSR departments and people who have who want to join in and fund impact. We need to be able to show the support to say, hey, I really care about, for example, delivering essential care packages to elderly. Right. I will pledge this much for that impact. And then that knows that we can talk to those bike couriers and say, hey, guys, we actually have the funding. You can do what you're doing right now, but you can expand it rapidly because, you, you know, you'll be able to get access for funds for every trip that you make. And that's just going to make people who are healthy, who are sitting at home, who are feeling like they don't have a way to contribute. It can get them off the sidelines to then support. And uh, and so getting the funding and getting the commitments and getting 
just the awareness that, hey, you can do something about this, I think is the biggest way that we can come together as a community and, and really support those people who are already organizing. Got it. So it sounds like obviously the existing model is you guys are helping to co-create the programs at a local level and, and make sure that it fits the model. And then there's a, a kind of a clearinghouse element is trying to get access to, at the moment, enterprise or corporate capital to be able to kind of mix those two things together or to, to connect the funding with the local programs. But it sounds like also in the longer term, being able to democratize that and being able to open those programs up to anybody who can get access to your platform and who can provide even the smallest amount of capital has got to be a big part of the story. Oh, it it absolutely is. So I think that even in the next uh, in the next week or two, we're gonna be able to open it up to to anybody who could just provide a meal. Like I'll provide a meal for a hardworking nurse. I I want to. Uh, and actually, there's a lot of other interventions that I, I know that I I kind of mentioned. You know, some of the the early ones, but I don't think that this is going away. There's gonna be people in in lower income neighborhoods who aren't gonna have the same infrastructure or access to. Uh, education if there's an extended period of no school, things like that. So I don't think that this is a just a today thing. I think that there's a, a short, a medium, and long-term programs or different interventions that are going to be really important. And so getting everyone involved to just say, hey, I think the talk that I saw yesterday was that there's a stimulus package uh, where people uh, could get payments out. Right. I know that if I get a payment of those, you know, the first thing that I'm going to do is be able to move that to the people in the communities that I know are making a difference. So um, just getting as many people involved as possible is is key. Thank you so much for talking through that. I mean, it's topical, relevant, uh, and also sounds like a really interesting use of the technology and has the potential to scale, not without its challenges. Obviously, there's logistics involved in all of these programs, but a really, really fascinating use of the technology. While we're here on technology, I'd love to talk through a little bit um, for those who who obviously are more interested in the development side or in the technical side of the program. Could you tell us a little bit more about working with blockchain or the approach you took to building the platform? How did you work with Ethereum? What were some of the challenges that you went through as you were building this? Sure, sure, absolutely. So uh, we could start with the choice of Ethereum. It's one of the most widely developer-friendly blockchains, uh, most tested. So that was kind of an easy choice for us. Um, which, uh, after dealing with you know multiple different types of blockchains, just having a developer community, right? That that is so rich, uh, like the Ethereum developer community. That just that makes that choice uh, very easy. I think uh, one of the most important protocols that we implement is ERC-20, which is a token standard that is uh, is widely used. It was used for all the different types of cryptocurrencies that that a lot of them were in the crypto bubble back in, I guess, what was that, 2018? But the ERC-20 standard is really strong because um, it's so tested. And, and the way that we actually use it is what we do is when we gather this impact data, we actually hash it onto uh, a secure data storage uh, server called IPFS, which I think stands for the Interplanetary File System. But we actually host all the data on IPFS uh, because the data is very rich and extensive, that it would be extremely expensive to actually put all of this data onto the Ethereum blockchain itself. So that was one of the things that as we went to market, that was one of the things we initially were going to just put all this data onto the blockchain itself, but we quickly realized that it would be prohibitively expensive and it didn't provide more business value. 
from the from the feedback of the people that you know that we that we were working with. So so instead we can actually store data. We store it on a secure server that's hashed, so that if that data is ever tampered with, that hash no longer that that hash breaks, and then that that is uh, the data that's referenced on the Ethereum transaction. Obviously, using a public blockchain feels like the appropriate application here. Gas fees are going to be a part of that, right? So obviously, crypto has been up and down and relatively volatile. Does that have an impact on your business model? Um, so one of the things we had talked about earlier is is the different uses of technologies. And so you know we're super strong and are focused on our on our like having a microservices architecture. And what that means is we actually have a series of blockchain services. So technically, we're blockchain agnostic. We could spin up a way to create Stellar tokens, or way, or a different type of Ethereum tokens, or uh, or bring on other types of blockchains. So if that was a, uh, or we could use different blockchains for you know different business purposes. So we're in talks with um, with trying to structure some impact investment products, and the, that is uh, even when gas fees are low, that is prohibitively expensive to do high volume you know investment products. So, you know, we would explore how can you use, you know, other blockchains that maybe have a, uh, you know, a lower transaction fee or faster throughput, things like that, um, depending on the use case. Got you. And what are some of the other protocols you're looking at at the moment? So for right now, the, the, two, the two that we're looking at the most is either ERC-20 or for some of the, the, the more, I could say, larger impacts. So like... Uh, like if you wanted to, uh, here's just a silly example. If you wanted to uh, save a rhino, for example, and uh, and you really wanted to have all this rich data on a rhino, and someone wanted to own that uh, non fungible token, we could put that onto like uh, an ERC seven twenty one. So those are the two protocols that we work with the most. The the second one that we have uh, that we're working with is Stellar. So we're determining right now if Stellar could be a network for us to be able to transfer this impact data in a digital form to to build these impact investment products more effectively. Brilliant. And so then for anyone out there who's listening, if you ever want to know what is the best protocol for tokenizing a rhino, <laughs> it is ERC721. <laughs> yep. There's a lot of cool projects that do uh that 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 uh that do a lot of different uh things like that, but but yeah, 721 would be a would be a good one for that. And so you talk about a microservices architecture. Obviously, you've got the blockchain protocol behind this. Um, tell us a little bit more about what else is in the stack. So what are some of the other technologies that you're working with on the platform? So when I think about the architecture, right, there's basically like four main components. Okay. There's data input, a lot of different sources. There's verification, which is like algorithmic, manual at times. You either want to do over-humanized verification or dehumanized, right? But you want to try to get to that confidence score. Then there's the productization, right? Which is you create a token and then you create a structure and then there's the exit. So that's, you know, putting it on web, putting it on, uh, you know, a dashboard for a corporate, um, putting it on, um, you know, putting it into an impact investment product. So those are kind of the, and then basically our microservice, our cloud-based microservice architecture is what, it has a series of services that that service each of those four functions. And so then obviously a big part of that is the the algorithmic analysis of the data that comes in, right? Yeah, yeah. So 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 that's basically just and I, I did talk about that before. That's basically like what are all the series of checks, right? So right now it could just be like, okay, the the geotag from the picture was the same as the geotag from their phone that we pulled, which was this which was 
different than the geotag they said was going to be in another place, but it should be different. You know what I mean? Like there's all these weird little checks that we can do. And then we can basically ramp up the automation of those checks as we get more and more independent data sources, or we can basically have a volume high enough to get to, to actually be able to train a machine learning model. Got it. So at the moment you've, you've built kind of the business logic or the, the step checks for each data that you, each data point that you collect or the multiple data points that you collect to then come back with a, a positive or a negative or a, this is verified, this is potentially not verified score. And that goes through the current system. Is that a manual process at the moment or is that being automated now? Yeah, it's being it's it's being automated now. It is a manual process. It depends on the use case, right? Every use case is entirely different and how you verify it. And that goes to the different types of models. But the way to think about it is that we have levels of verification going from V1 to Vn, right? Uh, and Vn be, me, being you know perfect verification, which will never exist, right? But but the idea is that for V1, for example, it can be about completeness. Do I have all the data? It could be about are the data in the right is the data in the right format is the data giving me the information that is required before we can even look to tokenize it. V2 of the verification can say, okay, how consistent is this data with each other, right? Is this and then that's where you can run a lot of the different checks. It's easier to go through an example, right? Let's talk about one of the harder ones to to verify, which is beach cleanups right? Or removing ocean trash. That's actually a really interesting uh, verification topic because if you're trying to verify beach cleanup, it's very disjointed. Every beach cleanup crew in the world is going to have a different process. There's different level of volunteers. It's just a lot crazier. So what we do is for this verification process, we say, okay, we want you to grab pictures when you're on the beach. We want signups of the volunteers and pictures for when you sort the trash. And then after you sort the trash, you know, you're going to cart it over to a recycling center. And then we want a receipt from the recycler and weights uh, on the scales of the recycler, for example. So when you have a picture from a beach and you have a picture from a recycler, you can tell that those geotags should be not in the same place. You can also tell that where they said they recycle, where they said they were going to recycle it should match where the actual geotag of the picture was, right? And we've actually mapped out all of these different types of logic checks for all the different use cases that we have on the platform. Fantastic. And and so then the the layer on top of that is the automation of making sure that the machines can read that, that you can build the logic and it can flow through. So it's a more scalable process. Exactly, exactly. So everything is almost like you got to think of it as like a generator. So now we have like a, a mobile app generator. So we can basically choose from a menu of the different impact uh, data types. And now if you're pulling from a menu, then you can come up with what is the, you know, what is the, what is the minimum amount before we'll even look to verify it? And then what are all the additional amounts that strengthen the verification, for example? But the idea being that we can strengthen verif- and we should strengthen verification over time. And one of the things that I love the most about it is that it creates a situation where when you want to get you know, more into forward looking, you could go to more dynamic pricing to say, hey, a pound of ocean trash that has X amount more verification than one that has, you know, maybe less uh, uh, or a lower verification score or however the user might perceive it, right? Then that could actually go into the price of it. And then that gives the people on the ground incentive to, I want to deliver better data because I could receive more funding, for example. 
that's a really interesting point is actually being able to say that the different levels of verification can create different value because the the relative proof is stronger and so then you can have competing projects or you incentivizing you're, you're creating an incentivization model for the projects to be able to come back to you with better data exactly exactly and they should be the ones to be the experts on what is the data that they that they can grab and what are better ways of proving it Right. So we we work closely with all of these partners to say, hey, like, you know, what are the interventions that are the most impactful? And, you know, what do you think is the best way to prove it? And by guiding them through that kind of structured data process where they might not have access to or the bandwidth to, to build out these technology projects themselves, but they are definitely experts on on how to prove what it is that they do. And so, you know, we're very receptive to bringing that in and, and making it visible. Kevin, this has been totally fascinating and I'm genuinely inspired by the work you guys are doing. I mean, the course of a podcast, we've gone from banking to blockchain to turtles to the coronavirus to microservices architecture. So I hope there's something in this for everybody in the show today. Before we close the show, how can people find out more about Proof of Impact? What are you guys up to next uh, and what have you got going on in your life? So the best way to find out about Proof of Impact is you can go to our website, www.proofofimpact.com. Um, there's going to be a lot of activity on there, especially with all of this stuff to fight the coronavirus. So I really want uh, to reach out to everyone that's listening and and really either if you want to help in the fight, meaning you could think you could help some uh, find funding for some of these uh, projects and programs, or on the other end of it, if you're in the community who's making a difference and you think that access to funding or access to technology is something that's helpful for you you know we have we'll have contact uh info on our website directly so i urge everyone to reach out because we think that we can really bring these communities together so that's kind of the most immediate the thing that's on the horizon is that you know we're really focused on our bringing our offering to corporates and businesses because we think that businesses are you know major leaders in the community and there's been an increasing pressure and increasing importance for them to kind of showcase their sustainability or showcase their their involvement in the community. And from the people that we've talked to, it's been very difficult for them to be able to do that in an easy and effective way. So so finding ways that we can uh, you know work with businesses who want to kind of create their impact portfolio so that they can engage with their customers or uh, engage with their employees. That's kind of where our business focus is at. And then for me personally. I'm just, you know, super enthusiastic about the technology in the blockchain space. I have been for a long time and more and more of these uh, these use cases, amazing use cases are popping up every single day. So just being able to learn more about these and uh, and try to apply them into the real world is what my day to day is. Thanks, Kevin. And to be clear, you're looking at projects, you're looking at partnerships on a global basis, right? Because the first episode of Blockchain Won't Save the World, I think we had something like 35 different countries all listening in. Every continent uh, was represented in terms of somebody listening somewhere in the world. So in terms of people looking to bring you projects or initiatives or support, that's on a total global basis, right? Total global basis. Our business, our employees, everyone on our team is entirely global. I think we're in like nine different time zones right now. And we have 50 partners on uh, almost every continent. So yeah, absolutely. Great stuff, Kevin. So hopefully blockchain won't save the world, might be able to do a little bit to help save the world, particularly in these times of crisis. Thanks again for joining me and really appreciate having you on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Blockchain Won't Save the World podcast. All opinions here expressed are those of myself and my guests. If you're looking for more, you can follow me on LinkedIn for more blockchain-related content. And until next time, 
stay safe out there.